Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Lesson number four. This will wrap up our series on cultures and conflict. I realize this has been some heavy topics, but they're very needful topics. Uh, the hour that we're living in, in case you talk to somebody that says they're a rebel, you tell them if you want to be a part of the real rebels today, the real counter culture folk, you need to be a part of the church. <laughs> Amen. We need to be part of the church. Society don't care for some of the stuff that you and I are believing and preaching and teaching because it's the word of the Lord today. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 8, Paul said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath, and doubting in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. In this scripture is some principles different for men than they are for women. So tonight I want to talk to you about principles of distinction. Principles of distinction. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, today. We pray that you would help us, God, in this, this setting. Help us, Lord Jesus, to glorify you, Lord, in the word tonight. God, I'm asking for your anointing. I'm asking for your direction. Lord, we love you today in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You could be seated. Let me share with you from the outset the principle of divine distinction. The principle of divine distinction. Let's put it into words. What we're going to study tonight. And that is men and women are created by God to be different. And they distinctly and uniquely represent God's image, character, and glory. A man represents the image of God in a different way than a woman represents the image and glory of God. It's different. Not that it is one's better than the other. It's, I can't represent all of God being a man. Neither can a woman represent all of God being a woman. It is the combination of God's character in man and woman. Look at what Jesus said, and we've used this before, but let me refer to it again, how Jesus reminded us about the distinction. And he said in Matthew 19 and 4, Have you not read that he which made them, God, at the beginning made them male and female. Made them male and female. Over the last couple of lessons, we've been talking about things that really primarily deals with uh, uh, outside the church. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about distinction that is within the church. Distinction that we have for the glory of God. When you consider that God created men and women and their genders to be different, he did so for a purpose. He made us different. Praise be to God that not all of society is men. 
That's, it's, it's interesting, Brother Dylan, that I only got men saying amen on that one. I don't know. I don't know what that meant. But on the other hand, praise be to God that not all on the planet are women. <laughs> so we know without a shadow of a doubt God created the universe, don't we? He created the universe. He created the world. He created us. If God created the universe, then God has the right to define what is in the universe. He not only has a right to define it, he has a right to rule in it. He has a right to regulate it. He has the right to say what it's supposed to be doing, what the role, amen, what the role is. When it comes to a man, God can say in his word, which he did, this is the role of a man, this is the distinction of a man, and then he can also say this is a role of a woman, this is the distinction of a woman. It doesn't stop with what we taught last week. <laughs> it is a continual understanding about what a man is and what a woman is. I'm not going into their roles, but rather how that men and women deal with issues of magnifying God and get, getting into God's purpose in a different manner. We know, thank the Lord, men and women don't look the same. Thank God. Men and women act differently. Men and women walk up and down stairs differently. They communicate differently. They process communication differently. We are different. We are different not because of what culture says. We are different because of what creation says. Let's make that very clear. We are different not because culture says it or because popularity says it. <clears throat> One way or another, amen, I realize today that there are there are, are, are men that are really out of alignment and they're bigoted and they're mean and they're messed up. I realize today that there are feminists that are, are out of alignment and they, they are really over the top uh, messed up. But here's what happened. That didn't start in the 1960s. That started from day one after the fall. Because Adam got out of order and Eve got out of order and the next thing you know, their offspring is killing each other. You know, one day they just started talking about each other and were offended. They started killing each other. Man, when you get God's order out of order, things can begin to happen. Let me, let me just stop here and say this. We would be not where we are today with the, the, the demise of the family because we are not here because of the homosexual agenda that's happening right now. We are here because of the heterosexual damage of destroying marriage. The laws that were passed that presented no-fault divorce began to destroy the family long before the laws that we have seen come to pass about same-sex marriage. Let's put the blame where it really should be. It is the blame that the church needs to continue to preach. God hates divorce. Long before we have to deal with uh, uh, different genders and, and uh, Babylon's alphabet brew. All right, let's look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet. Everybody say, complete, not compete. Complete, not compete. This is not men are better than women. Women are better than men. No, it is a compliment that God made the genders the way he did. He originally made man and woman to function in a distinct way to give him glory. Give him glory. All right. I've taught on this before. I will keep on teaching it until we get it in our spirit. I want to talk to you about the divine purpose of man and woman. The divine purpose of man and woman. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1 and uh, verse 26. And God said, let us make man... In our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he, 
him, male and female, created he them, and God blessed them and said unto them, Listen, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. In this passage of Scripture is capsulized for us all of humanity's purpose statement. Why God put us here on the earth. We find that God created man. Genesis says when it's telling the story of God formed man. He formed man out of the dust of the ground. The word form means have a plan. God had a plan for man. God, had, God didn't just say, I want to do something to kind of pass time. He said, I've got a purpose. I'm going to create man, and I'm going to create woman for a distinct purpose. I want to tell you, there's four reasons why we're on this earth. Let me share with you. Again, I've told you before. I'll tell you again. I want you to get it in your spirit because it impacts how we live today. Number one, we represent the king. Say that with me. I represent the king. Amen. As a man, I represent the king in the fashion that he made a man. As a woman, you represent the king in a way that should bring glory to God. I am made in the image of God to function like him. I am not a God, but I am to function like him so that I can represent his glory. Man failed in that instance for thousands of years until Jesus Christ came and became God manifest in the flesh so that in the flesh he can say, here, y'all can do this. You can do this. You are on the face of this earth to represent God in his image and likeness. Amen. Somebody say, I'm an ambassador. The second thing is that the purpose of, of man and woman is that we are to expand God's kingdom. We are to expand. We are to represent him and we are to expand God's kingdom by being fruitful, by multiplying, by replenishing the earth. Amen. Jesus said in John 15 and 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth, that you should go and bring forth fruit. Amen. That your fruit should remain. God has made Man and woman to be fruitful. That's not just about childbearing, though it is part of it. It is about working and producing things that bring God's glory. And he said that we are to expand his glory. We go to work to expand his glory. We produce things in life to expand his glory. We go to school, and as we're in school, we study in a way to expand his glory. Not to pad our our ego, but rather to give God glory in what we are doing. So I'm to represent the king. I'm to be also expanding the kingdom and declaring his glory through fruitfulness, multiply, and replenishing. Number three, the third reason that I'm on this earth is the Bible said to be fruitful and replenish the earth and subdue it. Everybody say, subdue it. The first kingdom government authority that God set in motion is right here. What is subduing it? Subduing it is having self-government over what we're producing. Having self-government over what we are producing. God created man to govern. Not to be governed by this world, not to be governed. You will not find any place in this, this, this part of God's purpose that gives man dominion over other men or over women, men over women, or women over men. That's not the context. The context is God said, I want you to subdue yourself. Be fruitful, but hold on. Subdue what you produce. Don't let it dominate you, but you dominate it. Alright? So I am to represent the king. I am to expand his kingdom. And I am to rule under kingdom authority. 
I am to rule under kingdom authority. This is why Jesus said, Seek ye the first, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. That's a legal term that talks about authority. Seek ye first the kingdom and his authority. And then number four, the reason that we're on this earth is to have dominion over kingdom resources. The Lord said in his word that man is to have dominion. Look at it. If you, Sister Shelley, would you put up uh, Genesis 1 and 28? Genesis 1, 28. Y'all doing all right? I'm telling you why you're here. Genesis chapter 1 and 28. Here at the end he says, And subdue it and have dominion over what? What's the first thing he says? Fish of the sea, fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. All right? You're to have dominion. This is, I believe, and when I saw this, it changed my thinking about where I'm at in this world. Man is to bring God's glory by having dominion over earth's resources. Let me put it like this. God, I need a table. Lord, I need a table. I really need a table. And God says, there's a tree. He's not a welfare God just to drop stuff in my lap. He is a dominion God that says, I want you to have dominion over the resources that you have. What is the resources that you and I have today? It's our money. It's our time. It's our family. It is our savings. It's about making sure that what we are producing is that we have dominion over what is here on earth. So tobacco doesn't have to have dominion over me. But I can have dominion over tobacco. I don't have to be taken in by being a glutton because I can have dominion over the food. I have to get to the point where that particular thing that drives me crazy, that has control of my life, to God be the glory, I have dominion over it in the precious power of God. He gave me that. He gave me that. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. If you want to know why God has so much to say about how we live, how we move, how we dress, how we do things, it is because he's got a reason for us on this earth. Or he would have saved us and raptured us at the very moment we begin to speak with other tongues. He would have saved us and poof, we're out of here. No, he said, I want you to be here to be my representative. I want the world to see what it is to live under the king's authority, to act like God, amen, to live like God. The sad thing today is that there are people that are professing to be Christians, but they don't want anything to do with being made in the image of, of Jesus Christ. They don't want anything to do with what he said. You and I cannot disobey God's commandments and still call ourselves his children. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. All right. Back in our text, you will notice in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8 and line, there's a chapter uh, 2 and 8. Verse 8 has to do with men. Everybody say, the men folk. The next verse has to do with women. And it's interesting because the phrase in 2 Timothy 2 and 9 begins with this in like manner. So the verse before it is connected to it. These passages that we're talking about tonight has to deal with how life, holiness, issues of temptation, and, and, and also representation are different for men and women. Sadly, a lot of the church has preached a blanket message about how you ought to live when it comes to issues. And, and, uh, let me get into this and I'll go back. I'll, go back. I'm gonna get, I'll get back to that just a little bit. We have seen over the years women browbeat because of holiness issues. And men folk get off scot-free 
Because quite frankly, appearance is not as important to men as it is to women. Oh, I know there's some vain folks. I know there's some vain fellows. I know there's some folks that spend hours in front of the, the, the mirror, but they don't go here. All right? Let, let me break it down to you like this. And this is a 10. This is the normal. I know there's differences. I know that there are those that, that have different issues and situations. But this is the normal. Everybody say the normal. Men tend to have greater difficulty acting holy. Women tend to have greater issue with appearing holy. Y'all can sit down. The danger occurs when we place all of our emphasis on just appearance, then women become the rug mat of preaching holiness. Men tend to get off scot-free. We can berate the ladies that they need to be more holy, but what we ought to be saying is, men, you must be more spiritual. All right? Because again, in God's framework, God deals with how men act, but He also then deals with how women appear. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to set this principle before you, and I want to help you tonight. I, I say I want to help, help these young folks tonight. I want to help you tonight about modesty and holiness and distinction between men and women and how that looks. Don't. Don't think about externals and appearances, both action and appearance, both men issue and ladies issue. Don't think about it under one principle only. Here is what I think we need to do when we look at external actions and external appearances. This covers both men and women. Three principles. If you're going to go wear something or you're going to go act something and do something, Number, principle number one is the principle of distinction. Does this action or this attire, this garment, this particular activity properly represent my God-given gender? All right? Am I representing God in this in this particular action? That's what guys need to ask. Am I representing God in, in, in the principle of my gender? Ladies, on the other side, is that what I wear, does it represent a distinction of gender? Long before we got to alphabet Babylon's alphabet brew, we were confused and confusing gender identity and the distinction was being marred and you could drive down the road and don't know is that a boy or is that a girl you didn't know it now listen I realize that some people are not uh, do not understand this and they're just simply being used by the enemy but the enemy knows the enemy knows the power of distinction. The enemy knows what he's up against when a man and a woman are in their place with God, representing God in distinction. The enemy knows what he's battling, so he doesn't want you to worry about your distinction, that you should dress in a certain way that shows distinction. That's principle number one. Principle number two, when you are considering external action and appearance is the principle of modesty. Is it modest? Because you can be like a boy or you can dress like a girl and it, and it be gender identifying, but you can be immodest in it. All right? Some external attire or external action needs to be looked at and say, does this come off modest? The third principle, and I'm going to go back over these, is a principle of purpose. Does this action or this attire 
clearly represent the image and likeness of my Creator? Does it help me represent my King and give Him glory? Does it help me expand and reach and influence His kingdom? Is it fruitful? Does it show that I have my flesh under control? Subdue. Does it show that I have control over resources? What does that mean? I'm not wearing the most expensive. It's crazy to wear a $4,000 suit if you're living I mean, let me just back up. I got to go on. I'm going to get bogged down right here, right now, and I need to go on. All right. I want to talk about how there are three primary issues related for men. These are issues that are men-related in the Scripture. Notice what Paul is saying here. If you wouldn't mind, put back up 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. 1 Timothy 2 and 8. I will therefore that men. Everybody say this is men issues. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Men's issue. I'll be honest with you. I have never had a problem with immodest dress. I don't care. It cold. It just don't bother me. If my sleeves are here or here. Ain't bother. It's you that gets the jar for my sleeves. I get that. I'm using this for an absurd thing. You you hear what I'm talking about. But for men normally. It's not about having a battle over my clothes. I have never had to fight temptation with my clothes. I might tomorrow, honey, but right now I have never had, but I have had to fight over being spiritual. Over lifting up my hands and praying everywhere. I have had a problem over my attitudes and my action. Hallelujah. You see, the issues between men and women are different because God made male and female, Genesis 5 and 2, and He created them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day they were created. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden, a place of boundaries, a place of separation, amen, and gave them concepts Of holiness. Men are different, so they're going to deal with different issues. Women are different, so they're going to deal with different issues. Amen. And Satan knows that. So he's going to attack us. That's why I need to know. I'm here to represent God. I'm here to be fruitful. I am here to get my government under control, my life under control. And I am here not to be run, but to run. Praise the Lord, everybody. This verse, if you could put that verse back up, please, Sister Shelley of uh, Timothy there. This verse provides three things that are primary male men issues when it comes to representing my king. The first one is appetite. The second one is anger and the third is apathy I'll show you those as we break this down the first thing is I must be spiritual God is looking for spiritual men who will address their life in a spiritual manner point taken here is lifting up holy hands hallelujah lifting up holy hands hallelujah that means getting my appetites, my passions under control. I lift up holy hands, as the psalmist said, in thy name. Lifting up holy hands means to be free from wickedness, free from evil, pure, pious, moral, lifting up holy hands. The great 
one of the greatest temptations that men face is their appetite. Our appetite. Sometimes they come in different kinds of appetites. Let me just give you a couple. There's the appetite of, of competition. I am going to win. And I don't care who I got to run over to win. It's about winning. Come on, boys. Can you say it's about winning? Oh, you say it like men. It's about winning. And so the, the appetite for com com competition can become so strong that it overtakes other principles in my life. How about the appetite for food? Mmm, love me some steak. Let me get one bigger. Let me get one longer. I need it thicker. Ah, you think that's a slab of steak? Let me tell you about this slab of steak. Amen. And so our appetite related to food begins to, to, to grow and grow. Or the appetite for physical intimacy begins to grow. Lust that takes over control. And so it's a holiness issue for men. We've talked about it, amen, in a lot of aspects. It's about how we are enticed to act in a way that is unholy. Don't have a problem with, 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 with attire, but I do have a problem with my appetites. Can I get an amen, men? You wouldn't care today. Many of you would not care today whether you showed up in, 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 in khakis or you showed up in blue jeans. It, it would not matter to you, but it does matter. Can I come to the house of the Lord and say, I've got my appetites in check. I've got my passions in check so I can lift up holy hands unto him and give him praise. Hallelujah. Men, can you do that tonight? Men, can you do that tonight? Praise God. James put it like this in chapter 1 and verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin. When it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Men, do not put yourself in a place that will ignite and inflame passions that are not under control. But how do I defeat it? By Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. There it is. Temperance. Self-control. Hallelujah. Self-control. I need to have it under control. I need to subdue it in the name of Jesus. First uh, Corinthians 6 and 12. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Uh, amen. It just may not be necessary that I have that thing. That I'm part of that thing. So everybody uh, say appetites. The second one is a major issue with men, and it's anger. Anger. The same passions and, and, and drive within a man that will send him into a burning building can send him into a place of, of ill repute if it is not under control. Anger is related to violence, crime, Spouse and child abuse, divorce, stormy relationships, poor working conditions, poor physical health. Amen. The book called None of These Diseases is one of a great book we read in Bible college, but none of these diseases cites some 50 diseases that are directly connected to anger. The writer of Proverbs put it in perspective in Proverbs 14 and 17. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. I, if I'm as a man, if a man allows his anger to get a hold of him, then he's going to act like a fool. Just happens. 
Well, that's just the way I am. I just blow my stack and then everything's okay. Well, the problem with blowing stack is that somewhere there's shrapnel. Somewhere there's somebody that's been impacted by it. Somebody or somebody that says, is that how you're supposed to represent Christ? Is that how you're supposed to do it? No, 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 no. Proverbs 14 and 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Proverbs 15 and 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Men, we've got to deal with our anger. We've got to deal. There's four kinds of anger, and only one of them is good. The first one is rage. We've got to deal with rage. That flying off of the handle, that, 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 t- that t- temptation to just blow our fuse. We have got to get it under control. Our wrath, which is used to describe revenge. I'll get back with them. I'll retaliate. I'll show them. No, you got to get your your representation under control. The third is resentment. Used to describe anger that stems from offense and grievance. Resentment. The only kind of anger that is any way healthy is indignation. Indignation is free from rage, free from resentment, free from retaliation because it is not against a person but against a problem. Everybody say, get the anger under control. Then he says, that's, that's the part without wrath. Then he says, and without doubting. Say that with me, without doubting. Men, we're, we're a pretty confident bunch, aren't we? Be honest. We're pretty confident. <laughs> Just ask us. We'll make up stuff. Just so we sound right and good. Now, I know. We're confident. Years ago, we were evangelizing and preaching in Tennessee, and uh, there was two boys that were, were kind of going back and forth with each other. And, and this one little boy said, I, I cut my hand on a piece of glass. Well, he was intent. I cut my hand. And the other one said, I cut my leg on a piece of glass. <laughs> Aren't we so good at one-upmanship sometimes? getting thick in here right now getting real thick in here right now all right but when you begin to break down this this phrase without doubting it is an interesting greek term that deals with a discussion which reasons are advanced for and against it is literally disputing critiquing criticizing Disputing. Disputing implies a questioning mind suggests that an arrogant attitude by which one assumes they are always right. Men, we got a problem with that. Come on. Be honest with yourself. Let's be honest with ourselves. It's not wrong to dispute, but it is not governed by self-discipline. If it's not bringing all of these things that men are dealing with has to do with having things under control. Having things under control. We find that in Luke 24, this word arises in, in in a statement that Jesus said. He said in Luke 24 and 38, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Why do thoughts? You know what the word thoughts is? The same thing as doubting disputing. Here's the issue, men. If we are not careful, we will reason in our mind until we begin to dispute with our mouth, and then it will become our body language. Here's what a man that loses his spiritual grip does in the case uh, of doubting. I've seen it over the years where I have watched men sit in the back Fold their arms while the Holy Ghost is moving and they're arguing with it in their mind. 
Watch as, as God is pouring out His Spirit. I've seen preachers that have folded their arms at conferences while the Holy Ghost is moving and they're arguing about it because they don't like it. Maybe because they're not the one up there. It is a holiness issue with men. Men, we tend to think and reason ourselves right out of a move of God because we can't explain it. Because worship sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable as men. It makes us feel like, well, I don't want nobody to see me cry. Lord, don't touch me because I might cry. You know what? It's what I love about God. It's usually those guys that are really having a problem with that is that when God does get a hold of them, they're crying buckets and rivers. Amen. Just going, whoa. I love it. Isn't God good? Praise God. Men, true holiness is always founded in getting my emotions and our thoughts under control. Stop being critical cynical, apathetic, and saying, ah, oh, I just don't agree with that, so it must not be true. Must not be true. <clears throat> Here's the theme that men need to grab as the Apostle Paul did in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, for, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth to those things which are before. I press. Men, let's press for spirituality. Let's press for being worshipers. Let's press for loving God. Our wives need us. Our, our world needs spiritual men. Press. Press. All right. Let's go now. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting, this, these all could be their own Bible study. But let's go now to what the Bible says about the distinction for women. In verse 9, 1 Timothy 2 and 9, in like manner, like men deal with issues, now he moves to how there are issues related to women. Let me just say, I know that there are women that have some of the issues that men deal with. But I believe what Paul is doing here is he's showing us a template of what is the normal so we can understand it. He says, in like manner also, women Adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let them adorn themselves in modesty. Now, I'm going to throw you a big curveball, but I'm going to throw it by bishops' words. Okay? A lot of times people will use the phrase broided hair, gold, and pearls and costly array, meaning that you're never to wear gold or you're never to wear any kind of, of jewelry or ornamentation, that it's all pro, pro, prohibition. If that is the case, then you can't wear apparel. He taught me that. If one's out, they're all out. Okay? Again, we're going to talk about, just like we talk about men that have problems with their appetite, eating's not bad, but having it out of control is bad. Modesty throws another principle to the attire and what is worn. Men have problems with their appetites, their anger, and apathy. Women have problems with adornment, apparel, and attitude. Nobody say amen. <laughs> good, men. Very good. God bless you. Way to bite that tongue. You're going home in a minute. <laughs> Praise God. Modest adornment. The first thing, let's talk about adornment. Remember, men tend to have Issues with acting right. Women tend to have the issues with appearing right. <clears throat> Paul said it, not me. Paul is saying this and showing us the distinction here. When men act holy, 
they are protected from temptation. When women appear holy, they are protected from temptation. The word adornment means something that is put to order, arranged, made ready. It, it, it means to, to embellish with honor, to gain honor, embellish with honor. An apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution order. It's the same statement that we get the word cosmos. It comes from the exact same Greek word where we get the word cosmos. Do you think God is about order and arrangement? Look at the universe and say, He's got that together. I need to have this together. You understand, ladies? It's, we have confused homeliness for holiness. I can let myself go. I can let my apparel go and think that I am okay. Well, in doing so, I've missed the understanding. We've missed the understanding of modesty. Modesty is caring that I represent my God in a way that gives Him glory. I'm not too flashy. I'm not too homely. Not too flashy. Not too austin. Does you, do you know what a penny any is? Do you know what a penny any is? Penny any. It's penny cost at any cost. There are some folks will dress away, ladies that will dress in such apparel that you want to say, man, I feel sorry for you. You are really having a hard time living if that's what it is. They're, they're not unkept. They are unkept. They, they look frumpy and they don't care about their appearance. That's not honoring God. Hear me. That's not honoring God. And on the other end is those, those that will dress in, in $4,000 dresses when they live in a place that that's not what you do. That, that, that. And so we can go from extremes. And what Paul is trying to say here is that make sure you're modest. That's the principle. That's the principle. Oh, praise be to God. You're modest. The adornment. God is not opposed to adorning. He just establishes rules, boundaries, and principles, amen, so that a lady can represent God in a governed fashion. In a governed fashion. The Bible said in, in Psalms, it tells us, Give the Lord glory due unto His name. Give God glory that is due unto His name. I don't give God glory by looking unkept and looking like I just drug out of the, of the gutter. Amen. And, and, and No, I don't give God glory. You don't give God glory, ladies, if you're not paying attention to your, your looks and your body and, and betray, are portraying rather to God what is glory due His name. The writer of Proverbs says in 31 and 30, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Let the adorning, let the adorning be that brings glory to God. Hallelujah. If your hand is weighted down by that rock, you're probably not giving glory to God. Now, I set forth some things and try to explain some things to help with distinction and setting standards here at our church. I believe that the Bible gives us very clear understanding about jewelry is that it must mean something. There must be a meaning to go with it. It's not just decoration. I believe that we need to set forth our adornings that but rather we're balanced. If you have a problem, if, if, if that particular thing, let's just say jewelry, the excess of jewelry is an issue with you, deal with it. Deal with it. Get it under control. Amen? I don't think I'll ever be seen in a pinky ring because I don't have a problem with it. But I got a problem with some attitudes and, and actions in my life. I need to get under control. You understand what I'm saying? In, in Exodus 32 and 33, you can see where God commanded Israel to repent. And a sign of their repentance was to surrender their 
jewelry, their ornaments. In the book of Hosea, chapter 2 and verse 13, And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself uh, with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. What do we learn from that? We need to ask some questions. I, I want to post, I've, I've used this before. Let me use it again to help you draw some lines about jewelry. Does it have clear function and a definitive purpose? Wedding bands. Things that are clear function. Does it enhance my God-given inner beauty or does it appeal to vain beauty? Is it modest? Does it represent my king well? Does it hinder my testimony? Does it cause my brother or sister to have issues and stumble? Does it reflect the teaching of my local church? Amen. We're living in a day where where passions are unleashed. Do what I want to do, how I want to do it, with whoever I do it. Thank God that God began to work years ago in the holiness movement and say, put some brakes on that. Put some restraint on that. Amen. Put some restraint on that and, 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 and see that the glory of God is displayed by being modest. Being modest. I'm going to go through this a little quickly. Maybe sometime we'll get into it deeper. But Paul said that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Modest means moderate, well-ordered, arranged, Properly under moderation. Modesty submits to the boundaries of decency. Style of dress is an application of modesty. Amen. Remember, the fundamental purpose of women and men is to represent their king in their actions and apparel. I've used this before. I'll use it again. Did I give you Genesis 3.21? Put it up there, please. Leave it for a second. Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, what was once uh, no shame became shame. And the Bible said when she ate of the fruit and Adam ate of the fruit, they knew they were unclothed and they had shame. And that shame drove them to try to cover up themselves. So what did they do? They made them, the Bible says, aprons. Just barely cover up, but they knew they had to cover up. And so they made themselves aprons. God said, not enough. It was on many different fronts that God was up, up looking at. It wasn't just simply that they needed a blood covering, which he went and killed an animal and made them. God made them clothes. Well, they didn't have Walmart. God made them Clothes. Look at this. And to Adam also, and to his wife, did, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Let me quickly say, in that context is a line for modesty. When you study the word coat, it is the word tunic. And then you begin to study and research tunic. What a tunic is, it would normally consist of something that covers from here to here. Sleeves covering their entire body from here to here. Study it. In my opinion, I believe that God is saying, here's a good line. Here's a good line. Here's a good, and if God made it in heaven's fashion sewing room, then I guess it's all right. You understand? So when we start saying, you know, it needs to be below your knees, there's where it comes from. And the other thing is that nobody won't see your knees. Oh, it's like that I see. Praise God. But there needs to be an understanding of modesty and distinct in our apparel before God. Modesty. Then he says, also with shamefacedness and sobriety. So we have adornment. We have now attitude. Everybody say attitude. 
An attitude is something that was inward, that expresses its behavior outward. Shamefacedness is a sense of honor, bashfulness, reverence. Amen. Sobriety is self-control. So when it comes to your, your, your life, ladies, and your attitude, let it come from the inside of a heart that is humble before God, of a heart that is ready to be modest before the Lord. Amen. And then he says, not with broided hair, gold, pearl, or costly array. Amen. I believe it's very important that we govern how we appear. Let's ask some questions. When it comes to dress, outward dress, is this adornment, is this apparel appropriate? Is this adornment? Y'all, I just have a problem. This is just Tim Gill, chapter 3. He's not even Pastor Gill. This is Tim Gill. I have a problem going to Walmart and watching people shop in their PJs. Can I take you to the apparel aisle? Buy you something else. And it's bad enough that they're doing that, but it's the kind that just sag to the floor and drag until they've all been ripped apart, dark, dirty. Go home and watch TV in that. Is it appropriate? There are certain clothes that in some settings they're immodest and inappropriate. But don't, don't for a minute think that because I'm in this act, I'm going to stop this and just be very clear. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to make anybody mad at me. Honey, what's that skirt called? The, the, the snoga or the snoga. If you don't know what a snoga is, and you won't play ball, go get one. Find out what it is. Be modest. If you're going to play ball, amen, it, it, it may be inappropriate for you to wear your dress that you wear to Sunday night. But it still needs to be that you're covered up. Be modest. So is it appropriate? Does it fit the occasion? Am I overdressed or underdressed? I have turned, uh, have showed up at places because I'm a preacher wearing a suit and nobody else was wearing a suit. And I'm thinking, one thing doesn't look like the other. <laughs> and I am that one thing. Here's another thing that I think is important to ask. And, and that is, will this draw undue attention to me? Will it draw undue tension to my body? Everybody do this with me. Do this. All right? This is where the glory of God is revealed. Right here. Not here. This is where the glory of God is revealed. Right here. Not here. When you let the glory of God come through, what they're going to see is the smile on your face that's unlike anyone else's. They're going to see that you have a relationship with God that is unlike anything else. Amen. And they will, they will be attracted to that and not to some inappropriate attire. Oh, I know the world tells you something different. But I'm going to go back to my fashion designer from heaven. Not some luchy ricci Gucci. <clears throat> Shut up, Gil. <sighs> Moderation ask is, is it too much? Is it too little? <sighs> Does it show I have my passions under subjection? Is it too tight? Is it too loose? I know this. Is some folks that can wear an outfit, and uh, some folks that can't wear the same outfit. Is it too short? Am I constantly pulling on it? Am I constantly struggling with this? Am I dressing in a way to have a boy lust after me? Okay. 
Because you can wear stuff that is modest and holy on some ways, but in other ways it's meant to get attention. Remember our purpose? Our purpose is to be a representative of God. I dress in a way, you dress in a way that says, here I am, I serve the Lord, and I represent Him. Remember, there's not just one principle that goes with attire. There's the principle of distinction. Does it represent my gender? Or do I look like a boy in this? It's a principle of modesty. When I'm looking at the closet, I'm looking at my clothes, I need to keep three things in mind. Number one, does it look like my gender? Number two, is it modest? Is it modest? And number three, does it fulfill the principle of purpose? Does this bring glory to God or to my flesh? Somebody say amen. I'm going to wrap this up with six key components of modesty. I hope this helps you. Again, men and women, boys and girls, they have different issues. And God says, I'll help you with that. Amen. I want to tell you, because women so often wrestle with identity, is that am I pretty enough? Hollywood doesn't think I am. Is I'm beautiful enough? Hollywood doesn't think I am. Am I, am I attractive? And so it's the wrestling match that goes on. And until you solidify in your mind, I am a child of God. I am a king's kid. And I will glorify God because I matter to him. And because he's my source. Not because some boy said, hey, whoo, you're looking good. No, but he's my source. It says that I am worth something. I am valuable. All right. Six key components of modesty. Number one, modesty places limits on external external appearances. That is, modesty keeps one from being obsessed with fashion and appearance and causes them to, and, so that they don't go attention-grabbing. Modesty makes things attractive and beautiful, not ugly. Modesty is attractive. Praise God. Number two, modesty emphasizes internal character before external appearance. Internal character. Peter wrote, let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corrupt, even the adornment of a meek and quiet spirit. Modesty takes the unseen, the secret within, and reveals it in such a way that says, I've come to give you glory, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me just say, if you want to find an attraction that is about character, you want a guy that has character, then let it be you as well. That emphasizes internal character. That's number two. Number three, modesty provides lasting value. Clothes wear out. Fashions fade. But a person who can display true beauty, regardless of the season or the style. You help me a minute, honey. This is the most beautiful woman in the world to me. But I will tell you this. She knows how to dress for occasions. She dresses appropriately for occasions. She conducts herself in a modest way. And it was a red dress that was holy. (laughs) That flipped this old Texas boy's heart. But beyond that, it was hands praising God and giving glory to God. Amen. And I want to say, if you want to know what an example is, this. Never ashamed of you. Praise God. I get to go with you to Mackinac Island. Sorry, that just come out. <laughs> Find you 
Find you, young ladies. Find you, young ladies. You girls, find young ladies that know how to be poised, know how to be gracious, know how to present themselves in a modest way and say, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to go after that. I'm going to, I'm going to follow the example of a sister Bailey. I'm going to follow the example of a sister Carrie. I'm going to follow on and on and on. I'm going to follow that example. Why? Because the world tries to think it sets the standard. But God says, y'all are way out of your league. All right. Modesty provides lasting value. That was number three. Number four, modesty is what God treasures. When he says, let it be the hidden man of the heart. Let it be the hidden man. Modesty attracts God. Men having our spirits under control attracts God. Being submitted to Christ is what we're supposed to be doing. It, it, is, it is attractive to the Lord. Modesty is what God treasures. Number five, modesty gives a grand heritage. There is a long line of God-fearing, honorable, heroic, majestic, modest women who have brought the glory of God into their world by honoring the Lord. And not all are cookie cutter in their appearance. Amen? You don't have to look just exactly alike to still give glory to God. We're not putting you in the Muslim covering, you know. Mm-hmm. Thank the Lord. I wish I'd had somebody shout on that. Stand with me, please. Lastly, number six, modesty has the power to impact other people. You see, when it comes to dealing with issues, guys deal with different things, girls deal with different things. Yeah, there are things in common that we have. But God doesn't lump us all into one particular thing and say, you've got to deal with it like a man, or you've got to deal with this like a lady. But rather, Lord, your word teaches us how to handle it. Hallelujah. Would that men would pray everywhere. Number one issue for men is be spiritual. Be spiritual. If you're not the spiritual head of your home, then you're simply missing out on God's glory in your life. Be spiritual. Be spiritual. Boys, y'all can learn to pray right now. Learn to call upon the Lord right now. Learn to set yourself up to be spiritual. And it will take you to great places in the kingdom of God. That's what it is all about today. Let's love Him in this place. Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.